30 days has September, peeps, which means March got 31. I won't go through the whole thing, which means this ain't the last market call for the month of March on a Thursday. Next week is. I mentioned that because it just gives us one more Thursday with EY from SoFi. Yes, you're watching Market Call. I'm Guy Adami. I'm always joined by Dan Nathan. We're putting 30 minutes up, and we're going to rock this sucker. As I mentioned, EY from SoFi will be joining us in just a few minutes. Today's episode brought to you by FactSet, financial data and analytics powered by, not today, people, tomorrow, SoFi. This, I love just saying this. Get your money right all in one app. And, of course, open exchange because this meeting matters, and they manage it, people. How are you, Dan? I'm doing well. Hey, guy, we're going to get this thing kicked off with a bang right here, okay? I'm sitting here as I'm staring into my camera, but I also have my fact set news you know, platform up here, and it yeah, you comes do. out. Big headline. You ready for this? Go. Apple. Apple. They're going to let you buy your hardware, your iPhone, your iPad, your iMac, in a subscription manner, buddy. I mean, and the stock is ripping. It just rallied a dollar on that news. You know, and I know that you're a huge Apple fan. And I know you're staring into Apple hardware right now. What does that mean to you, Guy? No, it means I guess I don't have to go to the application store in the rain later today. It means yeah. I can do it everything on the line. It's so exciting. I'm, I'm so happy that Apple's doing that for me. As you know, Dan... There are very few things I uh, well I don't want to get into it. Apple's no, no, no. Company, but listen, blah, 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 I'm joking because I know I get you. I get you teed up. Yes, Apple you do. You see me? I'm, I'm aggravated. But he, here's one of the things I think is really important. And this headline literally just hit. Okay, so it's users would buy iPhone, iPad the way that they pay for iCloud hardware subscriptions expect, uh, expected by the end of this year or early next year. And obviously, this is rumor stuff, but it's being reported across some news networks here. And I think what's most interesting to me, and we've talked about Apple a whole heck of a lot, expected to have about you know mid to high single digits earnings growth this year, basically in line with the S&P. The S&P trades about 18 and a half times, right? And that's per fact set. And Apple trades about 28% or 28 times. Now, here's the thing that I think is really important. For the last few years, the bull case has been like this mix shift, right, of their services, which are going to have a higher margin versus their hardware margins. And if you can make this a recurring revenue model for the hardware and the software, that's how you justify a 28% uh, multiple. And I I just want to point that out because I do think that's really important to this story because if you can take what historically has been a horrible margin business, we know that Apple's iPhone literally take 90% of the gross margin of the entire industry. I love what you did there, breaking down Apple on the fly without a script because that's why we do this thing live because you never know what's going to happen. Now, there's somebody out there, Dan, that we love, and I, you know, we'll talk about Apple. I'm sure it'll come up in yeah. our conversation. But Larry Fink oh. getting a little ink today. Now, not the ink that most of you people think, like the tattoo ink. Although maybe Larry has one. I don't know. I doubt it. If he does, they're hidden quite well. No, he's getting ink in the Financial Times on CNBC's website, and why? Because he's talking about, believe it or not, talking about crypto, Dan. This is right in your wheelhouse, man. Well, there was a couple things here. And I think it was interesting. I think it must have come out of like the same interview in a way or at least a series that he's doing about, um, you know, just thoughts on kind of the global economy and what the war in Ukraine kind of means. And I think the first one I thought was most interesting from the Financial Times was just saying that the war in Ukraine could mark the end of globalization. And this one in particular, and Guy, you know, you've mentioned this and you were talking about the bubbling up of some of these inflationary pressures as it relates 
commitments to energy for a long time before the likelihood of the war. And really, it had to do some of the disruptions that we saw in supply chains during the pandemic. But obviously, the exasperation of these sorts of issues now with the war in Ukraine. And you've also been talking about, you know, it feels like we're not talking about the potential for China and a dust up with Taiwan, which would further make all of this worse. So if you think about what would the end of globalization mean, the reversal of, let's say, 40 or 50 years, it could mean that exact thing that you've been talking about, a wage spike spiral, right? If we were to onshore a lot of manufacturing. So first and foremost, I think that's the most important digital ink that Larry Fink got this morning. And what would that mean to you? This is not something that's going to happen today, tomorrow, or the next day, but we might see large U.S. manufacturers start to really commit to onshoring. And that could mean something very different for corporate margins. No question about it. Well, I, I think by almost definition, margins are going to go down because wages are going to have to go up almost again by definition. Takes a lot of time. Infrastructure build. I mean, you could probably make a real bullish case for the stock market on the back of that. And other people, so inclined, can make a bearish case based on the things that I said about margins and wage pressures. We'll see. But it's not going to happen tomorrow, to your point. But these are the types of things, Dan, that you talk about on your hit podcast called Okay, computer. Is that not the truth? Yeah, we do talk a little bit about that. But also yesterday, you know, Guy, you and I interviewed Gavin Baker, who we think is a brilliant investor from Atreides Management. That's going to drop on our On The Tape. Also, our other hit podcast, On The Tape podcast that you and I do with Danny Moses drops every Friday morning. And Gavin was talking to us a little bit about how the crypto use case really worked as it relates to people who were either trapped in Ukraine or Russians that were trapped with rubles, that sort of thing. You know, Bitcoin versus the ruble did exactly what it's supposed to do, except for the fact that we're sitting here and looking at Bitcoin priced in U.S. dollars with inflation expectations at 40-some year highs, and it's really not doing a whole heck of a lot. And so it was really interesting for Gavin to kind of point that out, and really that whole censorship resistance, that is one of the main pillars when I think about crypto and why I find it kind of interesting. But I also think it's very interesting that some of the biggest crypto bulls have kind of dropped that store of value relative to the U.S. dollar because we know that's really what it was about. The white paper was written in the wake of the financial crisis, largely to do with our central bank debasing our currency. Getting really macro here. We're going to sort of downshift into some of the more, I guess, micro things. And industrial stocks, Dan, say what you want. I mean, some of these names have been... what. It, what is that term, en fuego? Is that what yeah. the right, is how you say it? Could be a and fire this, emoji. A fire emoji. Well, this yeah. is for the names that we talk about often. Lockheed Martin, Schlumberger, U.S. Steel comes out letter X and Deere and Company all overlaid. This is a very Carter Worth looking chart, by the way, but all through the lens of what the S&P has done. And you look at some of these stocks, they've been ballistic in terms of the move. Lockheed Martin recently, U.S. Steel getting off the mat. We mentioned Schlumberger in the, in the context of OIH. That's a huge component of it. And obviously Deere is a completely different company, but the fundamentals have lined up as well. All these things off to the races against an S&P that sort of match, Dan, Nathan. Yeah, I think that's the main point. And our, our crack producer, Amanda Diaz, put this together here. And we were talking about some ideas for today's show and really thinking about, okay, so here we are. We have the S&P. It's down a little less than 6% of the year. The NASDAQ's made up a lot of ground. It's only down 10% of the year. But all during this kind of move over the last month, month and a half or so, there's been some kind of stealthy moves, mm -hmm. obviously oil, obviously steel. You've been pointing these out on market call for months now. You were pointing them out before Ukraine. You liked research 
resource trades. You liked energy trades. Obviously, Lockheed got a bid when Germany said that they were going to finally get their defense spending up to that NATO commitment of 2%. The deer and cat are pretty interesting. You and I, I think on our last On The Tape podcast or one of our last market calls of 2021, we talked about some things that might work in 2022. And part of it was like global reflation post-pandemic. And I think we both cited cat and deer, but these things have gotten a little out of control. And I guess, you know, you and I spent some time on market call yesterday talking about how could we be wrong in our bearish call for a retest of those February lows in the S&P 500? Well, if some of the major names were to take this market back up and we were to have a de-escalation of the situation in Ukraine and nothing goes on in China, well, then all of a sudden, would you see, guys, some of these outperforming names come in if the markets kind of had this sense of ease about the geopolitical environment? Yeah, I think, well, specifically the defense stocks without question. And yeah. you probably see a backup in OIH as well. I think the fundamentals probably are still in play for names like U.S. Steel and John Deere, but that's why we do this. You know, you're trying to figure it out. But to your point, how can we be wrong? Yeah, there is a marked de-escalation in terms of Russia, Ukraine, which I don't think is going to happen. You're not going to get any dust ups from China, Taiwan, which I hope, obviously, we don't want that to happen. And we'll see what happens on the inflation front. Maybe people trust the Fed this time and say, you know what? They can thread this needle. I don't think any of those things will happen, but we'll see. But that's how we can be wrong, Dan, and we'll see what happens. But the other side of the coin are these sort of, as we used to call it, rust belt stocks, you know, names from states like, I don't know, Wisconsin, for example, <laughs> or the semis, which, you know, they sort of live on either coast. And, you know, you've been doing a good job with these. But let's take a look at some of these names, Dan, because they are in play yeah. right now as we speak. Well, I think, you know, you and I don't like that expression when it comes to markets. What's different this time? What's different this time, though, about semiconductors? They used to be this kind of leading indicator of cyclicality, right? But right now, when you think about the demand for their products in so many different industries, right? And it's not just PCs and data centers and cell phones anymore. I mean, remember that that catchy phrase, the Internet of Things guy that mm. we would shut up about a few years ago. But really, semis are going into every sort of industrial product, all the companies that we just talked about before. We think about going forward. What does the metaverse look like? Well, it's powered by data centers. It's powered by devices that you're going to be wearing. You specifically will be wearing HoloLens and VR Oculus headsets guy. I can't wait to see that. But, you know, listen, the push and pull here with the semis is that maybe there was a lot of double ordering as we headed into what people thought was the end of the pandemic. And now all of a sudden we're seeing all sorts of manufacturing from autos to other industrials who need chips here. Look at this SMH. This is the ETF that tracks the semiconductor index. It's right there at that moving average, man. That's the 200-day moving average. It's had a really nice bounce. What's your take? You've been generally very constructive on NVIDIA and AMD. We're going to hit both of those in a second. When you look at this SMH, though, to me, might it look a little challenged? Might it look like a head and shoulders top at that resistance guy? I think it is. And I think it's going to be challenged here. And I think that, again, that moving average, the 200-day moving average is going to be, was support. You can see when it was support. Well, becomes resistance now. Lower left, upper right, flattening out, probably turning lower. I think if you've been in this one, specifically this ETF, you're taking money off the table. You mentioned NVIDIA. I think we've done a good job here. We actually discussed it on CNBC's Fast Money. We talked about the reversal. I think it was on March 14th. Please don't at me if I'm wrong. But we pointed out how it traded down effectively to the October low, had a huge reversal that day. We said, there's a lot of giddy up here. And I got to tell you, that stock's going from about 215 
to her current levels now, which in percentage terms, Dan, is pretty significant. It also broke that nice little downtrend line that you drew. Yeah, I know how to draw the charts. It's not just Carter Braxton. It's not yeah. just Carter Braxton Worth who can do that. But I wanted to take a look at AMD, and this is a oh a, yeah, you, you know, do. Well, because, wait a second. Can I just introduce this? Yeah, of course. There's a you know in in the options world, you want to be able to risk less and make more. How can we do it with an AMD options trade dance? What I, did I think there? where you're going with this guy, you know, for ten years I did that show Options Action on CNBC's Fast Money, and I love that show, and it's a great show, and I still watch it. My good friend Mike. <laughs> Hot cocoa, as you named him. I think you named him that, didn't you, back on the show years ago? And obviously, Carter Braxton Worth is on it. And our fearless friend, uh, Melissa Lee, is the host here. But, you know, one of the things that was interesting when you were talking about NVIDIA, and this was a company that was what got to about an $800 billion market cap yeah. at its highs, it's trading about 49 times earnings and 20 times sales. Okay. And we just talked about Apple, what they're trying to do, making this recurring revenue model. NVIDIA wants to look more like a software company than. And, you know, a semiconductor company. On the flip side of that, let's look at AMD. And you've called this one very correctly here. $100 on numerous occasions. I don't know what it is. You wake up, you have an epiphany. When it trades 100, you start pounding the table here. Well, on numerous occasions since the fall, when it broke out in the summer at that $100 level, when it's checked back to 100, you've been there. All right, let's look at this thing. The chart looks very similar to NVIDIA, but here's what's different about these two. Valuation. When you think about the valuation and the expected growth, the growth isn't as aggressive as NVIDIA, but the valuation is much more reasonable here. And you look at this thing all the way down from that high, what was it, 165 or something, got down to 100. It bounced here. We're about 128 or so. If I were looking to play this thing for a move back towards that 150, 155 level over the next couple of months, thinking about the potential for maybe this thing to de-escalate in Ukraine, maybe the potential for you know this endemic sort of reflation sort of rally, I I want to go with value where investors are looking to play a little catch up. AMD would be one of those places. So today when AMD was trading about 128 or so, I'd, or 120, excuse me, about a little below 120, I'd look out to May expiration, going to capture the next earnings cycle here. You could buy a 120, 150 call spread paying $8 for that. You break even at 128 here and you have gains of up to 27 between 128 and 155. We're using the 155 strike. So the 120, 155 call spread. I like the risk reward here. That's how I would play a market like this where there's a lot of uncertainty in a very volatile name where there's still some valuation concerns. So to me, define my risk, play for that move back towards 155. So just for you playing our home game, eight is less than 27. So in this case, you effectively are risking less to <laughs> yeah. make more. And we talked about one-hit wonders at the top of the show. I'll tell you who's not a one-hit wonder by any stretch of the imagination. That would be, of course, EY from SoFi, who's joining us now from Parts Unknown. How are you today? I'm great. I don't have any props today, though, because Dan's back. The boss is back, so we gotta <laughs> we got to cut the fun, guy. Yeah, well, listen, we got a lot of feedback. They love that little impromptu thing, you know, that little second city television, <laughs> whatever they call it. I thought it was fantastic. But you've heard us sort of waxing poetic here. How can we be wrong? Industrial names. I did mention the state of Wisconsin. Talk to us briefly about some of those things before we get into the nuts and bolts of what you brought today. Well, I'll talk to you about the state of Wisconsin first. Yes, it is in the Rust Belt, but I prefer yes, to call it, it America's heartland. Those are basically the same states, but I'd rather call it the heartland. So Noted. Just, just a little terminology. All right. Semiconductors or just tech in general at yeah. first. 
I had said this earlier in the year, January, February, and I said, let's just wait until after the first hike. That's when you see a lot of those growth sectors settle out and start to produce positive results again, three, six, nine months into the future. So I actually think this is an okay time to be legging back into technology. One thing that semiconductors have going for them is that surprisingly, after an oil spike, semis are one of the industry groups that do pretty well for the following three or six months. I'm not exactly sure why that is, but that's something that could be a positive and a tailwind for them. However, it requires you to think that we already saw the spike in oil. I happen to think that it is behind us. I don't know that we're going to get back up there again, but you could think about semis from that perspective. However, if I were going to leg back into technology, I think at this point, I think you can use the cues, but I'd also look at large cap tech, things that are those blue chip names and cloud computing. And that's something that I think is a theme. You look two to five years into the future. If you're looking for an entry point, and this is a good entry point, given how expensive everything was in 2021, a good entry point into some of those tech themes that we know are going to carry us through the next three to five years or so. Yeah, no, Liz, I think you make a good point. You mentioned the NASDAQ here, and you know I've said this on numerous occasions. I think you're right. I mean, the QQQ is the way to do it. And when you're talking about legging into it, it's like nobody's going to catch the absolute bottom. No one knows where the lows are. You have to think about your time horizons, the themes that you want to invest in, and the vehicles in which to do it. And I think like the QQQ makes sense to me because we know, and if you look at Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, Tesla, NVIDIA, Google, they make about like 50% of the weight of that. Now, here's the deal. They, on a relative basis act very well to the dozens of stocks in the QQQ that have actually gotten the snot kicked out of them over the last year or so down 50, 60, 70%. I've said this again on numerous occasions. But just buy the QQQ or leg into it because if you yep. love all that innovation, well, you get that and that stuff's been murdered. And then you get the stuff that's shown the relative strength that's really driving it. And ultimately, if we do go into this other protracted bull market, you're going to get the performance of those major names and then some of the names that are going to come back. There will be some of those that are down 60, 70, 80 percent that come back and you're going to get the performance of that. So that's how I I'd do that, too, Liz. Yeah, I, I, I want to add one quick thing. Yeah. Oh, please. If you think about just factor investing, right? So as a strategist, I think about that pretty often. What kind of factors do you want to invest in? For everybody out there that says, I still want super aggressive growth, think about biotech as a super aggressive growth play because you've got valuations that are pretty attractive here. It's in a sector that's not as sensitive to rates, not as sensitive to the macro environment we're in right now. So if you really want to play that particular factor, Think about biotech instead of something like semis. Well, Guy, you would agree with this, though, too, right? Like, look at the XBI, the ETF. And again, you know, like, I know that there's some people who hate ETFs. I do not. I mean, I think the idiosyncratic, you know, risk of maybe one of those names, unless you know that that stock, that biotech stock that's in the XBI or that cloud stock that's in the QQQ is going to massively outperform when people are playing for that sort of alpha. But you really got to know what you're doing, right, when you do that. Mm-hmm. So I actually love the idea of the XBI in around nine. Any guy, any thoughts in biotech right here? No, I, I agree with that. By the way, yeah, I love that because as I said, instead of having one chip on 18, that would be my number if we're playing roulette. You get to sort of spread it out a little bit. So, you know, you're obviously not going to make as much, but at least you have a better shot to win. I'm with you. I will mention quickly before we get to Liz's note, Big Cap Pharma has been doing really well over the last couple of weeks. Eli Lilly breaking out, Merck above 80, and Bristol Myers comes out BMY, north of 70 for the first time in a while. 42 years ago, walk down memory lane. I was a sophomore in high school and I was not feeling particularly well over the course of a week. And on one specific Wednesday night, 
my father and I were watching a Ranger game. They're playing the Flyers that night. And I had to go to the bathroom, went to the bathroom. I threw up. I know why you're telling this story. And then I found myself doubled over in pain on the bathroom floor. He rushed me to the hospital. I had my appendix out. Over the next seven or eight days, whilst in the hospital, I got hooked on the young and the restless. That was my soap of choice. I bring that up because today, Liz, you bring forth the following, please. I was really wondering where that story was going. Yeah. I was and it went myself, right who's, to this. Who's got See, a mute button? Where, how do we cut guys' mic before this goes really far south? Yes. Thank you. Thank you for bringing that up. The name, <laughs> the name of my note this week is like sands through the hourglass, which is not young and the restless. It's as we all know, days of our lives, but I wanted to do a soap opera theme because it feels like that's how we started 2022. We've got all these different dramas going on. We've got a war. We've got the fed. We have, we have villains. We have good guys and bad guys. And I think that these dramas like a soap opera are going to go on for a shockingly long period of time. And we all know that that's how the story goes, right? You watch a soap opera on a Monday, you pick it up again, three months later, everybody's still doing the exact same thing that they were (laughs) three months ago. So we've got some forces here that are here to stay. And, you know, I want to go back to the Larry Fink thing too. The deglobalization piece, I think we've been in sort of a theme of deglobalization for a while. But remember when we started the trade war with China and everybody said, that's it, it's over. Globalization is dead forever. That obviously wasn't true. So maybe things come back a little bit and you've got certain industries that are hit harder than others and that are affected for a one to three year period. But globalization itself doesn't necessarily disappear, right? We're not going to stop traveling globally. We're not going to stop getting certain things from other nations. It's just that in the meantime, it's disrupted a bit. So when you look at all these different titles. I love these titles. This is some of my best work, you guys. I really, I honestly, I don't know how I'm going to outdo this one. <laughs> so young and restless guy for you, that's the tightening cycle. We've got one hike behind us. And now we've got most people at the Fed saying we want to do 50 bips in forward meetings, maybe more than one meeting. So we've got May and June, maybe we expect 50 bips. Then I talk about bold, but not beautiful, because that's what that would be. That would be really bold. We would attack inflation, but my bet is we would invert the curve. I don't know how upset they'd be about that. And then you get to guiding light and it's like, okay, well, what do we do about that as investors? Honestly, you do less because I think in the last couple of years, we've gotten really excited about trading around positions. We've gotten really excited about chasing things, trying to call inflection points. This is a time when you do less, at least for the second quarter. Some of the things that I think you can leg into, like I've already said, are technology. I would look at cloud computing. I'd look at big cap tech. I'd look at healthcare because it's not as rate sensitive. And I am still a financials bull. Now, that doesn't mean that I think financials are going to eke out 20% returns this year. But I think the story about financials, if we do get a yield curve inversion, it's usually followed by a yield curve steepening, which is good for financials. And we've got a consumer that may need to start borrowing more on the personal loan side. As we get through the year, rates are higher. Financials make more money on that. And financials are one of the larger cap sectors that are insulated from international. So as long as the global economy continues to have some of this tension or dust-ups, as you guys keep calling it, which I think is the term of the day, financials actually are more insulated from that than other cyclicals. 
Yeah, you know, it's interesting, Liz. You obviously don't watch Market Call on days that you're not on it, but we uh, <laughs> we discuss some of the financials. We discuss some of these big money center banks. And I, and I, I think Guy and I both agree with you. I think that it's interesting when you think about J.P. Morgan and relative to Wells Fargo, which is up 7% on the year, which J.P. Morgan's down about 11% on the year. And you think about what are the forces in which that are causing that difference in performance. And I think Wells Fargo has no international exposure outside the U.S. They are very levered to um, a U.S. consumer that might be um, equipped to be borrowing again, whether it be for mortgages or you know for 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 other things. So I agree with all of that. J.P. Morgan, on the flip side, has unquantifiable potential risk to a you know global deflationary sort of cycle in a way, and that's why you're seeing that. But one of the things I think is most interesting within the financial space is look at American Express, and we talk about all these inflationary pressures, whether it be food or gas at the pump or anything like that. And that stock, look at look at where that is. It's almost back to its prior highs. And we know that they service, you know, a higher end consumer and then maybe more levered to business travel and some of those other things or travel in general. And that's telling a very different story. You know, so to me, I'm just curious, are we going to get through this period? Let's say if we have all this de-escalation and we have some sort of normalization and then the yield curve starts steepening a bit, you know, and the economy starts maybe getting a bit better in the back half of this year, is American Express telling us the story that maybe the mass affluent is not going to be affected too much as it relates to discretionary spending, you know, as it might be a lower end consumer? Well, I think that's already the case. And and yes, I think that is true. I don't think the mass affluent is going to be affected as much. But also, remember what American Express does, right? They're revolving debt. So as rates are rising, they're going to make more money on that as well. And also the consumer at different points in the cycle, when rates are falling, you're going to see mortgages pick up. You're going to see refinancing in mortgages and you've got prepayment risk. As rates are rising, things like personal loans are more profitable. Things like revolving debt and credit cards are more profitable. So I think this makes perfect sense. I also think that if, let's say, we get a yield curve inversion and let's say recession odds are up even 50% for 2023, I think that recession, if caused by financial tightening, is something that's brief, maybe painful, but brief and over before we even know it in which case it doesn't necessarily affect the consumer that much because the consumer didn't even realize it was going on until after we told them. EY, something we do here that you're familiar with. We take audience questions because hey, this is a live show. That's what we do. Dan, Nathan, for you, Robert Gamber asks, volatility has dropped considerably. Are skies clearing or is this just the calm before the storm? I will answer quickly. I think it's the latter, the calm before the storm, Dan. And obviously, Vol's going from a 38 handle down to 23. Thoughts quickly before we get to Butters. Well, here's the thing, guy. I'll just segue into Butters because I, oh, I agree with okay. what you're Do saying. Do your thing. Look at you. No, no, but but, but I'll answer the question and I'll say it really does have to. We're coming to the end of Q1. Mm-hmm. We know that in the next couple of weeks, we might see some, some pre-announcements on the earnings front. Um, and that'll be really interesting to sort of gauge. And then when we get into the back half of April, we're going to get Q1 results and Q2 guidance. And then I think that's where you start seeing volatility ratchet up a little bit. So if you see a VIX that has something, you know, less than that two handle on it, if it gets below 20 or so, and you've enjoyed some rebounds and some positions that individual names that you think might have some issues because their visibility may be poor in an earnings season, I think that gives you the opportunity to either you know, protect your portfolio, protect some individual names, or actually do some stock replacement here. Let's get to one for the road guy. We do it every week. John Butters, he releases his earnings insight blog on Friday mornings for Fact Set. You love them. 
We know him, and we talk about his report every week. We get a little glance at it before it comes out here, and he's talking about S&P 500 guy companies, 66 of which have issued negative earnings EPS guidance for Q1 2022 to date. That number is above the five-year average, and again, we'll just talk about this. What I find really interesting about John's work here, it just gives us some framework as we head into these different periods, and you and I are already expecting to see some disappointments, and I think it comes down to valuation. I'd love to get Liz's take too here. We had Adobe. Okay. This is a company that traded at a ridiculous multiple to sales for a company that had a $220 billion market cap heading into their earnings just the other day after being down 30%. And the stock went down nearly 10% at its lows yesterday. Guy, talk to me about that. Is it a situation where maybe your stock down 30 or 40% discounts disappointing Q2 guidance, but it really depends what the valuation looks like in the name? That's what we're learning. That first wave down is not the last wave down, to your point, I think. And that's 66 for the first quarter. I'd be willing to bet, Dan, we're going to have the same conversation another quarter from now, talking about something with the mid to high 70s number, because I don't think that's going down anytime soon. I think that's the environment that we find ourselves in. And the question for EY from SoFi in the final few minutes we have, what's the right S&P multiple in potentially declining earnings environment with rates going higher? We actually covered this exact question. Now I'm yes, wondering if we, you watched, yes, if you watched we the did. halftime report a couple days ago. Oh, I thought you um, meant we did. Oh, oh no, no. I missed, well, I missed the, the halftime Fast report. Money halftime so report. Sorry about that. I'm That's ready, one of my I'm favorite ready for shows. This one. Yeah. So actually, when you look at the S&P 500 earnings multiple in environments historically where inflation is at this level and when the 10-year is at this level, it would tell you that it's still too high and that the multiple does have to contract a little bit. I don't think that it has to contract down to the long-term average of 15, but I do think we come down maybe somewhere in the 17s. But here's the thing. It doesn't have to come down just because prices go down. It could go down because earnings rise faster than prices do. I don't think any of us are going to sit here and say that we think we're going to have a rip-your-face-off rally for the rest of the year. So if prices just sort of grudge higher and earnings stay stable and don't contract, you might have a multiple contraction that gets us closer to 16 or 17. Like what you did there, of course, face off the movie with John Travolta and Nick Cage. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Not one of his better works, but since you brought up Rip Your Face Off, I figured I would go there because that's what I do. By the way, one of the more disturbing scenes in movie history is, of course, Silence of the Lambs when he takes the face off a police officer mm. and actually puts it on him as he gets out, Anthony Hopkins, whatever, it's for another show. I enjoyed this, though. I really did. And just quickly, Young and the Restless, when I started watching it, one of the protagonists on that show was Victor Newman. That was, as I mentioned, 1980. It is 2022, and that cat is still rocking it along <laughs> with the Abbott family. But that's me. I don't want to thank you folks for joining us. I hope you're able to fill out your bingo card. I guarantee none of you suckers had Young and Restless, but that's why we play our game. Today's Market Call brought to you by our presenting sponsors, three of them. Backset, SoFi, of course, EY from SoFi, and Open Exchange. For more great content from Liz Young, please follow her on Twitter, at Liz Young Strat, and sign up for SoFi's daily newsletter at SoFi.com slash daily. And check out our articles that drop every Thursday. And be sure to tune in on Monday when Dan and I at 1 p.m. will be live from, wait for it, Chicago, Illinois, 
from the CME group, folks. <laughs> Later for all of you suckers. Later. Thanks, Liz.